Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Road to Revolution podcast, my journey with Lincoln Park. Uh, this one's it, guys. We are at the last of the Lincoln Park episodes. Uh, next week, we're going to dive into the side projects, but this is the last one of the Lincoln Park shows. Um, 17 years of shows we've talked about on this this podcast. Um, and uh, this one's a big one, uh, you know, for for you know, a variety of good and bad reasons. Um, but we're gonna talk about the whole weekend on this one, because this one was a whole kind of whirlwind thing, not as much as a whirlwind as last week's episode, where it was like in and out of the state in less than 24 hours. This one, uh, you know, I was in LA for a couple of days for this one. But let's, uh, let's talk about a little bit of the details first, and then we'll we'll dive into the whole weekend. Um, so this week's episode is my 34th and as of present day final Lincoln Park show. Uh, this one was at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles, California. And this one, as I mentioned on last week's episode, was titled a very long name, but for good reason, uh, Lincoln Park and Friends Celebrate Life in Honor of Chester Bennington. Um, if for some reason you're not aware of what, you know, the story here, uh, Chester Bennington uh, tragically uh, took his own life in July of 2017. Uh, they were set to go on a big summer tour that, uh, you know, shortly after he passed, um, they were going to do a couple of dates with Blink-182, which I was going to go do in New York and Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, and then they were doing shows all around the country with uh, Machine Gun Kelly and uh, Snoop Dogg were on, was on some dates. Um, and uh, One OK Rock, I think, was on a couple of those dates as well. Uh, and that one, that one was going to go everywhere. I was going to see them in New York. Um, not in New York, I'm sorry. I was going to see both of their shows in Florida. So their West Palm show and their Tampa show. Um, obviously none of that ever came to fruition, uh, sadly, but this show happened a few months later. Uh, this was in October, October 27th of 2017. So just a little over three months after Chester's passing. Um, so let's talk about the whole, the whole experience. Uh, I guess we'll start with, uh, the announcement. Um, I actually had just gotten back from California the day before they announced this show. I was in California for a good buddy of mine's wedding, Casey, who I've actually talked about on this show before. He went with me to the uh, Tampa show in 2014 with 30 Seconds to Mars and AFI. We, just, we went out to California for his wedding. Uh, I was in the wedding. It was a great time. The wedding was beautiful. I was in, it was in Disneyland, so we had a lot of fun there um, celebrating with the whole uh, their, their families and the bridal party and everybody, and it was such a great time. We had an amazing experience. We did Halloween Horror Nights, and we were in the Disney parks, and we did stuff in L.A. We saw Hamilton in L.A. Um, it's just a great trip. Such a such a wonderful time. Uh, I, I, great memories on that one. Um, but we got back from that trip and then the, the next day, uh, you know, I got back to work and I was sitting at my desk and, uh, I see uh, a friend messages me and says, Hey, uh, they just announced a Lincoln park show. And I was like, what that they, what? Okay. So I go jump on the band's, uh, I don't remember if it was Twitter, or Instagram. It was one of their pages and sure enough says, Hey, we're, we're going to do a show in honor of Chester at the Hollywood bowl in, uh, in October next month. Um, we're going to be bringing out a bunch of friends to help us out on the show. Uh, but nobody knew exactly what that was. Um, you know, at this point, nobody was 100% certain, was this a Lincoln Park show when people were going to help play Lincoln Park songs? Or was this like a, a memorial benefit show for Chester and to benefit his family? Uh, or, you know, um, the, the One More Light Foundation? Or anything like that, or you know, would it be something like that with bands playing their own songs? You know, people he was friends with. Um, so nobody knew, but you know, we, you know, every every Lincoln Park fan wanted to go to this. This was a huge hot ticket item now because um, if it was going to be a Lincoln Park show, it could very well have been the last Lincoln Park show. Nobody knew, and we still don't know if that's the case. Um, but. Uh, tickets went on pre-sale, I want to say the next day or so. And th this wasn't even a discussion or a thought on my part. It was, okay, I just got back from LA yesterday. Um, I don't need an excuse to go to LA. I absolutely love it there uh, to visit, not to live. I don't know if I could live out there, uh, but I love having it to be a destination I can go to between Disneyland and then, you know, um, I'm a big wrestling fan, which 
uh, I'll talk about shortly on this because there's a cool little wrestling story uh, that's part of this trip. Um, but I've been to LA for or LA and Long Beach and uh, those areas for different wrestling shows for PWG. I uh, went to their shows in Reseda and in and and Hollywood. Uh, been to um, New Japan Pro Wrestling has done shows out there. Uh, we've been to their shows at the Walter Pyramid in Long Beach and their shows at the Long Beach Convention Center earlier in this year. It's actually uh, July of this year. We went to those, um, and by this year I mean 2017. The the, this year of the show we're talking about today. Um, so I've been to LA for a variety of reasons over the years. I love going out there. It's such a great time. Uh, so, so many great things to do. If you, you know, if you love any kind of art or entertainment, obviously it's like the capital of the world because you can, if you want to go to a play, you can go to a great play. If you want to go to see a, a movie that might be only playing in LA, you can do that. If you want to go to a theme park, you can do that. Uh, they have everything and, and it's usually a really great uh, production or version or iteration or, or take on it. So I, I love going out there. You know, we, we try to go out there as much as we can. It's been a couple of years now for a variety of reasons. Um, but so this was no, no exception. I, I heard that this show was happening and I, I, I knew I had to go. Um, and luckily, uh, you know, my uh, friends and family understood that too. They were like, well, yeah, duh, you were going to go to that show. So they announced the show. They announced the pre-sale as the next day or within the next couple of days. And I had actually ended up being the number one quote unquote fan for the West Palm beach show on the one more light tour. When they were doing the pre-sales for that, if you referred enough people um, and you had people clicking your links and buying the albums uh, through your links, you could be, you know, you would get points. And then you, if you were in the top certain number of fans, you would get priority access to the pre-sales and a meet and greet with the band if you were in number one, two, or three, I think, or something like that. Um, and one thing I learned was you can change your base city as it happened. So I originally had put Tampa because that was the closest show to me. That would have been home. For me because it's within an hour from my house um but that one was fairly popular it was hard to hard to stay in the top 10 um you know i, I would number one for a couple of days bounce back to five then drop to 10 then you go back up to five it would you know it was an ebb and flow constantly with that one so as it got close to the end of that cycle i tried to switch it to other places so i switched it to hershey because i was going to that show as well and hershey didn't uh uh, same thing. I, I would get to number one, drop down a couple, and it would it would back and forth, back and forth. So then, about a day or so, maybe two days before the whole thing closed out, I switched it to West Palm Beach, and I stayed at number one pretty much the entire time. And then it closed out, and I was number one. So for West Palm Beach, I had won um, a meet and greet with the band, a merchandise package, a whole big deal. Um, and I was like, great. I haven't seen the guys in a couple of years. I haven't met them in a while either. It'd been since 2014. So I was like, yeah, this could be great worth the trip down to West Palm. And oddly enough, the last time I met them was in West Palm. So uh, it was kind of funny that that worked out. Uh, obviously, that West Palm show and that summer tour didn't pan out uh, the way anyone had hoped or thought. So the when they announced the pre-sales for the Hollywood Bowl, um, they emailed anybody who had won those packages or those pre-sale contests and said, Hey, you know, we were going to give you priority access to the pre-sale for the Hollywood Bowl show. We know it's not the same, but we hope if this was something you were looking forward to, you'd be able to use it for uh, this show. And luckily, I, I very much was going to go to the Hollywood Bowl show as long as I can get a ticket. So I got in on the pre-sale. And because I was number one in West Palm, I was among the very first people to do the pre-sale. Um, I imagine they let all the, the number ones around the country, which was only a select number of markets. So it wasn't a lot of people getting first crack. Uh, at these tickets. So I got very, very lucky. I got the front row for the Hollywood Bowl show, which I still to this day don't know exactly how I pulled it off. Partly, I can imagine two things had a factor in this. One, um, I had won that pre-sale thing for West Palm. So I was among the very, very, very first people getting access to these tickets. And two, I was just one person. I wasn't uh, I wasn't going to the show with anybody. Um, the only person I could think to go to th this show with would have been uh, Sal. And Sal, unfortunately, could not swing uh, this trip uh, for a number of reasons. So 
Uh, it was just going to be me. And as I've talked about before, I never let the lack of somebody to go with stop me from doing something I want to do. So I bought my ticket and I was like, all right, great. You know, uh, if there's ever a show that I'm very comfortable with going to by myself, it'll be this because it'd be surrounded by like-minded Lincoln Park fans who are there for all for the same reason to celebrate Chester um, and honor you know everything he's done for the fans and, and done for for us. So I didn't mind not going to, going to the show with anybody. Plus, I imagine I would have been, a, been an emotional wreck at this show, which is true. So uh, I was okay with not going with anybody I knew. And I, I ended up running into people I knew at the show. Um, you know, the guy, LP Live guys were in the row behind me. Um, there were people all over the place I ran into at this show. So it made sense, uh, you know, getting to know Lincoln Park fans from all around the world over the, uh, the that 17-year span. You were bound to run into people at the show. Um but it worked out. I got that front row ticket. So it was one less thing I had to worry about. I mean, granted, I would have been happy being anywhere in that venue just to be there that night. But being in the front row was a um, a bonus for sure. Um, and a nice way to cap off if that was my last Lincoln Park show to be in the front row again was a nice uh, a nice way to cap that run off. Um, so yeah, that was the whole before announcements, pre-show, pre-flight, everything. So... We'll jump to the actual day of the show. I, I, I fly out the early morning on the day of the show, which is Friday, October 27th. Um, very early flight out of Orlando, but I love the early flights in LA from Orlando because you don't lose any time, really. Um, it's a five-hour flight, but with the time difference, it, it really only – it's like two hours once you account for the time difference. So – I think I had like a 7 a.m. or something flight. So by the time I land in L.A., it's only 9.30. You know, by the time I get off and everything and get to my rental car, it's 10. Still have the whole day. This is great. So I uh, I get the rental car. Well, actually, no. Before I get to the rental car, when I am in Orlando International Airport, I'm at the gate. Um, Yeah, I I will say this. It's not uncommon to see wrestlers in this airport. Um, WWE's Performance Center is in Orlando. NXT is in Orlando. So they often will come here for their tapings or for training or anything at the performance center. And then they'll fly out from Orlando to wherever they're going to go. I mean, a lot of, a lot of wrestlers live in Orlando too. So, you know, if they're traveling anywhere for other shows or anything, it's a lot of times out of, uh, the Orlando airport. So I've seen tons of wrestlers. There are a lot of NXT crew, um, we, we were going to the all-in show, uh, you know, set up by what would eventually become All Elite Wrestling. And uh, Adam Cole was on my flight, which was kind of cool. Um, and then the year or so before this trip, uh, The Miz, uh, you know, Mike uh, Mizanin was on our flight. And that one still bugs me to this day because I hate bothering people in public. I absolutely hate it. I, I If it's a meet and greet or a concert or anything where – that kind of meet or approaching them scenario is kind of normal. You know, if you, if you see them at a concert, you see them after the concert, you know, anything like that, that's normal. But I, you know, if I just see them at the airport, I, I am so, I don't want to bother them. That's their time. I, I would hate to bug people like that. So Mike, the Miz was on our flight. I, you know, didn't didn't say anything to him, nothing. But he was on our flight, and he was right near us uh, at ba- the baggage claim at the end. But I didn't say anything to him. Anything to him. Didn't want to bother him. Just kind of, hey, you're cool. He's on my flight, whatever. And then I've read stories over the past couple of years since then, and he's always like, you know, if you see me in the airport, say hi, ask for a picture. I love that stuff. I'm, I I I absolutely love doing. It. I think it's such a great part of being a, a celebrity and being a wrestler. And I, I'm like, man, I wish I knew that. That'd have been cool. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. But we get to uh, the airport this time. And by we, I mean I. And I'm looking around, you know, at the gate, just killing time, listening to music. And I see um, WWE uh, superstar Mojo Raleigh, uh, who I can't remember if he was on the main roster at this point. This is 2017. I think he might have been. Um, but I see him and now this one's interesting because Mojo is actually friends with my friend, Andrew and they hang out quite a bit. They, they would go out in Orlando and go to Orlando city games or go drinking or whatever it is. So 
I see Mojo and I text uh, my buddy Andrew and say, hey, Mojo is on. I think he's on my flight. And he's like, yeah, he. Uh, we hung out last night. He said he was flying out to L.A. tomorrow. Um, so I was like, yeah, so then, yeah, he's almost definitely on my flight. So, you know, we had a, just a good chuckle about that, the, the coincidence. And, you know, again, I didn't want to bother him or say anything. Um, and even though he knew somebody I knew, like we had, a, we had a mutual friend, I didn't want to bother him. I just I didn't want to. So land in L.A., I'm walking down the escalator towards the baggage claim area at LAX, and he is right in front of me. Um, so I'm like, all right, I have to say something. Like, he's right here. Like, so we're, and we're both on the escalator. So I, I feel like if, if I bug him for 10 seconds, that's okay. So I'm like, hey, uh, sorry to bother you, man. I just want to say, uh, what's up? We have a mutual friend back in Orlando. Uh, so I just want to say hi. And he's like, oh, yeah, who? So I said, oh, Andrew. And he was like, Oh yeah, we just hung out last night. Like I, I stayed at his place and then I came right to the airport. And uh, so we both had a good chuckle about that. And then he was like, "Hold on." So he takes his phone out. He's like, "Let's take a selfie." He took a selfie of us and then sent it to Andrew. <laughs> it was like, you know, "Wake up" or "Good morning" or whatever. So I got a good chuckle out of that. Uh, you know, uh, eventually I did get that selfie back. Andrew sent it to me, uh, so I, I do still have that, which is kind of funny. Uh, but I was, you know, it was kind of cool you know, running into him on there. You know, not the most famous of WWE wrestlers, but nice guy by all accounts. Uh, he is, he is as, uh, as hype as uh, you would believe his character to be, and nice guy too. Um, so we we go our separate ways. I go to get my rental car. He, he goes off to do his thing, and uh, make my way down to Disneyland. I end up booking a hotel near Disneyland because I'm staying for the whole weekend. I'm getting there Friday. I'm going to leave on Sunday. So I didn't want to um, stay in L.A. It's a lot more expensive to stay in the L.A. area, especially near the Hollywood Bowl or Universal. So I was like, you know what? I'll stay near Disneyland. It's only like it's with, with, you know, 45 minutes to an hour from the Hollywood Bowl. And I, I, as long as there's no traffic or it's not like completely ridiculous traffic, I don't mind driving in L.A. I actually love driving in California. It's, it's a very relaxing thing for me. Um, so that was fine. I didn't mind. Plus, I, uh, a great, great friend of mine, Dustin, um, he was living in California at the time. So I was like, hey, you know, during any downtime or when I'm not at the show, do you want to go to Disneyland or we can go get food or hang out or whatever? And he's closer to Disneyland than he is to uh, Hollywood. So uh, this worked out really well. So I stayed in a couple blocks away from Disneyland, not on property, but like as close as you can get pretty much. Um, and I go over to the hotel and I go to check in. They're like, yeah, you know, it's still a little bit early. The room's not ready yet. But if you, um, you know, we'll give you your key now and then we'll just, we'll text you when your room's ready and you can just go right to the room. Sorry, right, great. So I'm like, you know what? I'm right here. Let me go to Disneyland for a little bit. Um, one of the perks of working for Disney is, you know, you can go to the their theme parks for free so long as you're not blocked out. And we weren't at this time, luckily. So go to uh, Disneyland, go through downtown Disney for a little bit, hang out, walk around. I'm like, you know what? Let me go to the park. Why not? I got time to kill. Which is such a great, nice little thing, a perk or uh, option to have was, you know, I go out there for this show and I'm like, you know, let me just walk around Disneyland for a little bit, which was great. It was a nice kind of headspace to put myself in for this day too. Cause obviously that night was going to get a little heavy. So to walk around one of my favorite places in the world was nice. Uh, and I do, I just go and I don't even do anything. I don't eat anything there. I don't go on any rides. I just walked around. Uh, it was really nice. Just a, just a nice kind of start now to being, in the you know LA Disneyland area and just hanging out and kind of just put me in a nice headspace for the rest of the day. And uh eventually I'm like, I am tired though. I, I want to get some some semblance of a nap in before I can go to this show. Um maybe take a shower because I've been up now for a good while and you know travel I you know I can never get comfortable on an on an airplane so I I wanted to just leave, take a shower and change my clothes. So I, I call the, the front desk of the hotel. It's like, hey, I don't want to be a bother. I'm just checking to see if my room's ready yet. I haven't gotten a text or anything, but I just want to double check this. Actually, it's ready now. So I uh, I drove over to the, air, uh, to the hotel, get, went into the room, and um, just took a nice little nap real quick. Um, and it was nice. I needed it for sure. It refreshed me just enough. It was one of those nice naps that wasn't too long where I woke up groggy, but wasn't too short where I felt like it was a waste. Uh, I came out of that uh, ahead, and I was like, all right, I'm ready. Took a quick shower, got dressed, headed out to the Hollywood Bowl. Um, and let's talk about the show. Um, 
getting to the show was interesting. Um, it was actually kind of cool because I'd been to the Hollywood Bowl once before, and it was like a month before this uh, when we were out in California for my friend's wedding. Uh, we had found out like a, a week or so before, like it was very, very short notice that the Muppets were doing a show at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, it was called the Muppets Take the Bowl or something like that. And it was awesome. Such a cool show. It was like a big Muppets live show. They did musical performances, sketches. There's some video stuff, uh, all sorts of really cool stuff. It was such a great, cool show. Um, so I, I'd been there once before, so I was somewhat familiar with the layout. Um, but we get over there, I actually end up parking in the same parking lot, uh, that I parked in for the Muppets. And one thing I will say about the Hollywood Bowl, as much as I love it, their parking situation over there is, is so limited that it is just hell, hell on earth. <laughs> um, they do what they call stacked parking, which I had never heard of in Florida. And I guess maybe just for space restrictions in, in LA, it's very common, but you go in and you park and basically you are locked in like because there are people in front of you. There are people parked behind you to the left of you to the right of you. And you can't pretty much get out unless everyone in front of you leaves or an opening to the side opens up and you can get out that way. But otherwise, you just can't get out and you accept that risk when you go to the show. And most people are not going to need to leave the show early. So say, OK, sure, fine. So I do, and it wasn't, it was like five or 10 bucks, maybe 15 bucks. It wasn't anything crazy. So I parked there. It's, like I said, same, same lot that I parked in for the Muppets and walk over. And, you know, even the energy going up was really, everyone was excited, but you can still tell there was like a somberness going on. It was nice to be around that energy of the Lincoln Park crowd again. And it was, this would be my second Lincoln Park show in California, but this one was like specifically for Lincoln Park. And for Chester, you know, the other one I'd been to was part of Comic-Con in 2014. So you had a lot of Lincoln Park fans there, but a lot of people were just there because it was a free concert with a big band as part of San Diego Comic-Con. So this was a bit different than that. Like the energy was super, super high. Um, but and you kind of there's like the, a tunnel that goes under the main road in front of the Hollywood Bowl. So everyone walks through the tunnel and comes up. And then when you first come up out of that tunnel, there's the Hollywood Bowl sign. Uh, the little marquee out front. And that was when it first kind of hit me because you go up and it just says, you know, the, you know, tonight Lincoln Park and friends celebrate life in honor of Chester Bennington sold out. And you're like, all right, wow, I'm here. This is, this is going to happen. And uh, one thing I'll give them for this show is they handled scalping really, really well. Um, all tickets were, handled via credit card entry. So the credit card or debit card you used to buy the tickets, that's how you got into the show. So like you couldn't even buy them for somebody else. Like when I went up to the 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 entrance, they swiped my credit card through a reader and it printed out my ticket right there and I had to enter at that moment. Like I couldn't take it and leave. Like they swiped, gave my ticket and I walked into the venue. Which was a small little thing. I was I, I relieved me because I was like I, I I love collecting my physical ticket stubs for concerts and for movies, but more so for concerts. And when they said they were doing that, I was like, if I if I don't get a digital, if I don't get a physical ticket, and it's only like this app uh, scan thing from Ticketmaster, I'll be pretty bummed. But the, I did end up getting a physical one through the through the credit card swipe. So I was like, all right, good, got my physical ticket. That's great. And uh, I go in, and I'm there a bit early just to make sure that I didn't hit any crazy LA traffic. So the, the DJ Z trip was on first, and he was kind of doing a warm up thing, and he wasn't even up there yet. So walked around the venue, uh, grabbed some food because I don't think I'd really eaten much at all that day except for like some snacks here or there. So I was definitely hungry. So I grabbed some food at the venue, grabbed a drink, walked around, kept running into people I knew. Um, which is again just the power of you know the Lincoln Park fan base is, you know I didn't I didn't go to the show knowing anybody like I didn't know who was going to be there I didn't pre-talk to anybody saying hey are you going to be there all right cool I'll meet up with you just going to the show and running into people who either a I had met from other Lincoln Park shows or through LP Live or there were people who were like are you Billy and I'm like yes and to have people now on the opposite end of the country too recognize me from that video is just surreal but super cool and again the whole power of the lincoln park fan base is just amazing um eventually to get make my way to the seeks now i'm getting antsy i'm like all right let's get this thing started z trip comes out does his thing 
and me, you can tell that everyone's just getting like excited and like, all right, let's go. I'm ready. And, uh, they play a pre-show video and that's the next point that it hit me. Um, they, they used an instrumental and I want to say it was from burning in the skies, I think. And it was, I don't know, for some reason it hit me really, really bad. Like I was like, like I started to get a lump in my throat and choking up a little bit. And it was, I was like, okay, this is about to happen. And uh, they came out and they did, we're going to go through the entire set list. We're not going to, you know, in past episodes, I usually skim through it because it's, you know, you know, songs and performances we've seen and heard a, a million times, but these were all different because of different people that had come out and you know, who, who the guest was, who was playing guitar, who was playing drums, who was playing, who was singing, you know, everything. So we're going to talk about every, every show, every song on the show, just 32 songs, uh, with, you know, that many or that, or even, you know, close to that many guests. It was just absolutely insane. Um, so they start with robot boy and it was a shortened like intro outro kind of only kind of deal so they do that and then they go into iridescent which was mashed up with uh the messenger which was really nice and this was when they they first brought out a guy named john green john green did a lot of stuff with them that night he um he was kind of like their go-to for uh extra vocals and some guitar as well um so he was on you know quick scan through here got you know six or seven maybe 10 of the 32 songs um Maybe more. I yeah, we'll see as we go through. But he was he was on a lot, and this was the first thing he came out on. Um, and then they did "Roads Untraveled," um, which was actually, believe it or not, the first time they'd ever played this. Um, they never played it when Chester was still alive. They never played it on any of the shows prior. So this was the first time. So it was interesting to see a live debut on this uh, this show of a song we knew of. There was one other song, actually two songs on this show that were um, debuted. Uh, one was a Lincoln Park show and one was not a Lincoln Park song. So, uh, uh, and we'll talk about both of those. Um, but yeah, so they did Roads Untraveled and that was still with John. And then this is the next part that just killed me. It was, it was rough. Uh, they did Numb and for that, uh, no one sang. Um, the entire crowd was the singer on this one. Um, they, they had a microphone stand center stage draped in the, uh, like, I can't remember if it was leaves or, or like a, a grass or something. It was draped in this green decoration and it was lights all over it, kind of like a Christmas tree. Um, and it was lit up uh, and the whole crowd sang. Uh, and you know, Hollywood Bowl, I want to say it's like 17, 18, maybe 20,000 people. So it's, it was a lot. And, you know, you turn around, especially being in the front row to look around and see all these people. And, and it was, it was heavy. It was a lot to take in, but it was, it was beautiful. Um, and a, a kind of a nice way to start this off. Um, cause after this we brought out, no, they brought out tons of guests. Um, so first one they brought out, you know, Mike talked a little bit about what the night was going to be and, and how things were going to go. And, um, first one they brought out, uh, first song they did with a new guest, I should say was they did shadow of the day. And this one was with, uh, Ryan key from yellow card. Uh, John green was out on this one as well. Like I said, he's going to pop up on a bunch of these. Um, but Ryan key from yellow card came out and did this with them, which was really nice. He sounded really good on this. Um, and they actually mashed up uh, U2's With or Without You, uh, which is kind of funny because for a very long time, uh, people, fans and not fans alike, had always said, you know, this uh, Shadow of the Day is very, very similar to that U2 song. And, you know, I couldn't disagree. There are similarities for sure. Um, I mean, I love both songs, so, you know, it didn't bother me, um, you know, especially because Linkin Park wins its own thing and its own take and it's not a cover or a ripoff or anything but they just sound similar when you make music it's you're gonna get similar sounding songs like there's only so many chords and, and notes and, and beats so eventually you're gonna get stuff that sounds similar and uh but they mashed it up in there towards the end during the bridge and it was nice um and you know ryan i think was a great 
first person to bring out because he he his voice fit in really well with the band and it sounded really nice and I don't know it was, it was a kind of a good like easing into how the night was gonna go. Next, they did uh, leave out all the rest. And one thing I will say is not all of the guests were pre-announced. We knew a lot of them. Like we knew uh, Ryan Key was going to be there. We knew uh, that a lot of these guys were going to be there. This next guest we didn't know was going to be there. So this was a cool surprise. Um, They did leave out all the rest. And this one was featuring uh, Gavin Rosdale from Bush. Um which is really cool because like, you know, there's some people on here you didn't you didn't know if if you know if, if they knew Chester or if there was a connection there. So, you know, a lot of these were surprises. And Gavin said it sounded good on this from what I remember. Um, you know, good performance. Um I I'm I'm definitely a, a Bush fan. Um not like a super fan or anything, but I definitely like them. Uh, a lot of great songs. Um but yeah, he was really good on this. Um the one thing that was that was definitely apparent through all this, and it's not it's not a knock because you know the circumstances and everything are, are tough, um, but I think they only had like one day of rehearsals with all these artists. I could be wrong about that, but I do I do remember hearing that. So some of the songs, you know, with those nerves and and in the what the mood and the atmosphere, some of the songs, you know, you get a little, um, you know off at points but didn't matter like the show was just so beautiful regardless of how things sounded and and played and anything that you know it was just so great in general um so the next song they did was uh they did somewhere i belong and this was with taka from uh one okay rock and uh this was good taka's voice was maybe just on the line of the range of who could do this song but it was still good. Like, I still enjoyed it. Um, one thing that I, I've never fully done since going to this show, um, I never watched it in full since then. Um, I've watched bits and pieces here and there, and I've listened to some of the songs uh, after the fact from the, this recording because they, they streamed it live on uh, YouTube. But aside from being there that night, I haven't watched it in full uh, since then, and it's been a couple of years now. Um, so these are all my, my memories of how it sounded in the venue. I know when you watch it and you're not in the, uh, in the atmosphere and in, in the moment with the energy and the, the, everything going on, it sounds a bit different when you're listening at home. Um, and maybe you're sounding the actual sound and you're not hearing what the excitement and environment is making everything sound like. But, um, I remember Taka sounding good, you know, some, some little things here or there, but you know. A, 1OK Rock was not a huge, huge band, so you're putting this this guy in front of almost 20,000 people singing a song by their favorite singer who's now passed. Like, that that can be a nerve-wracking thing. So I, I get I get any nerves or jitters that may have happened, and not a knock at all. Dude's a great singer, like way better than anything I could ever do. I'm not a good singer by any stretch of the definition, so um, not a knock at all. He He definitely did great with this. Um, and next was another big surprise. Um, they did Castle of Glass, which was always a great performance by Lincoln Park. And this was the first part where they brought out a, a full band to uh, be the guest. Um, they brought out um, most of No Doubt or slash Dream Car. Um, and they brought uh, Tony, Adrian, and um, the worst. I forget the other guy's name. Um, but they brought out them and, uh, the singer on this one was Alanis Morissette, which was a big surprise. Nobody expected that. And it was cool hearing her sing on Castle of Glass. Um, even more entertaining was, uh, Alanis makes some really interesting faces when she sings. And here was no exception. Um, on, when you get into some of the choruses on Castle of Glass, her face, man, is priceless uh if you get a chance look up on youtube uh you know alanis morissette uh lincoln park hollywood bowl and you'll see what i'm talking about like she sounded great it was a, definitely a different take on how this song normally sounded but man her faces on this were definitely entertaining um so it was kind of cool to see that because i'd never seen her live before so that was actually also a cool thing to do um and then Mike had said uh, we had another special treat uh, with Alanis. She was going to perform a new song she had written. 
Um, so she performed a song called, I believe it was Rest. Um, so she performed, performed that um, as well, which was really nice. It was a, it was a really good song, um, very fitting. Um, and then we went into a, this is where the show kind of takes a little structured uh, setup. Because uh, in Up Next, we moved into what I'll call the One More Light uh, section. Um, they went into Nobody Can Save Me. And this was with uh, Stephen McKellar, who was another uh, guest singer they had. Um, and John Green came back out. Uh, and they, they, this was really nice. Um, Stephen McKellar is a really nice voice. Um, so between him and having John doing extra vocals and then Mike as well, uh, this was this was a really nice performance, and plus these are my first time hearing uh, the One More Light songs live, and as of now, it might be my only time. Aside from seeing, um, you know, seeing Mike on the post traumatic tour, he did some of the One More Light stuff himself. But seeing it with the full band, this is my first and possibly only time seeing it. So uh, this was nice. This was very very nice. Um, don't have a whole lot to say about it otherwise. Um, but then they moved into uh, Battle Symphony. Um, with uh john john stewart again um i think there was like a hiccup at the beginning of this song and that was the you know the thing they hadn't played a ton of the one more light stuff uh live a lot so you know still little hiccups there and plus you know this show was you know months after their last show together and you know they probably hadn't played a ton together so i i get you know little hiccups here and there and I, honestly it's more endearing i think you know uh so it was, was kind of nice to be like, all right, they're still human. Like, you know, they're, they're going to they're make mistakes like anybody does. And obviously under this environment and stress and pressure, I get it for sure. I've made more mistakes under less pressure uh, doing other things. So um, so did Battle Symphony with John Green and then uh, Sharp Edges, which is the closer on One More Light. And it's such a beautiful song. They did this with um, one of the guest writers they had used. On the album, I believe John helped write some of the album too. But this was another uh, person that helped write uh, a singer songwriter named Ilse Juber, and uh, she has a great voice. Um, I, I I liked hearing her on some of these songs, and they had she actually came out on a couple. Uh, there was this one and the next song as well, uh, which was "Talking to Myself." It was both her and John Green did that. And it was cool because with uh, during that they added a bit of "All Along the Watchtower." Uh, and Ilse's voice was so good for that. So that was a cool little uh, mashup they did, which they did uh, periodically throughout the show. They would throw in little bits that would sound good to mash them up. Um, but then after this, they went into Heavy, uh, which they brought out Kiara, which was really nice. And uh, Julia Michaels uh, was on this too. I don't remember if Julia was one of the people that helped write this song. I think she was, uh, which is why they brought her out for this. Um but this was this was really good. Uh, you could tell Julia was a bit nervous, um, but it was it was it was very good. And Kiara is very very good at this song. Um, you know, it's nice to see her uh, do so well with the song. Uh, you know, it's been very public how um, how much of a fan she was of the band before this. So uh, for her to have to carry most of this song now on her own uh, during this performance is is a big big thing to have to do. But she 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 did great. Um, you know, and Julia did great too, but you can definitely just tell the nerves of, of this whole thing we're getting to her. But I, I, you know, none of these are criticisms. Like I'm, I'm not knocking anybody cause they are, um, they're much more talented than I am at that. So, um, just, just, you know, mini reviews, if anything. Um, and then this was the, this was the song I was waiting for and I thought they might close with it, but I, in hindsight, I'm glad they didn't. Uh, they finished the one more light section with one more light. And I'm having a hard time remembering if they had used these before this song. They might have, this might have been the first point. Um, when you got to your seat, every seat in the venue had a light up bracelet. It was like, it was like a puck with the Lincoln Park logo on it and uh, like a little uh, ribbon that would tie around your hand. And you could wear it uh, throughout the show. And you, everyone just said, hold on to these. Wear them during the show. You'll see why. And uh, it, during One More Light, they all lit up. And it was it was a big emotional moment. You know, a lot of people crying. And One More Light made me cry the first couple of times I heard it. 
and that was before Chester had passed. Um, so after it was definitely a big emotional song for me. Um, and here was no exception between the, the, the light thing going on in the audience and then the song itself and, and him not being there. It was, it was hard. This one was really hard. Um, but that wrapped up the one more light section. Um, you know, it, part of me thinks that was the, the most emotional section because it was the, the more recent songs he was involved with and, and songs we never got to hear him sing ourselves, you know, live at, at shows. I mean, he did shows for the, those songs, but they were, uh, you know, we, we didn't get to see, and most people didn't get to see him sing them live himself, you know, except much of those overseas crowds. And then the one or two shows they did in the U.S. before uh, that summer. Um, but next up, Mike did a, a new song that still hasn't seen the light of day outside of this show. Um, it's called Looking for an Answer. And this was this one was hard because I, you can very clearly tell what it's about. It's trying to make sense of what happened and why Chester did what he did, and it uh, it, it it's it's a beautiful song. Um, I, I do hope one day it it resurfaces and we can hear it as a completed recording. But hearing it here was it was beautiful. Um, and then they went into waiting for the end, which didn't really like fit in any structure per se. Um, but this one was with had I had a mix a mix things in there, like they did uh, until it breaks a bit of in there, um, and this featured uh, Sydney Sirota of uh, Echo Smith and uh, Stephen McKellar came back out as well. So you had some nice extra vocals on there, which was cool. Uh, up next, we went into uh, the hybrid theory section of the show, which is really cool. Uh, they started this one with Crawling. And this one was with another guest that grew up loving the band and, and uh, has said in many interviews over the years that um, his band now does, doesn't exist without Linkin Park. Like they, he doesn't become a singer and he doesn't make this band with his friends be, uh, unless Linkin Park is a thing. Um, and this is Ollie Sykes from Bring Me the Horizon, um, which is kind of cool. Mike told a story about how one of the first times Linkin Park played overseas, there's a picture of the band playing at a venue over in London in Kerrang! Magazine, I think it was. And in that picture, you can see Ollie. Um, he's in the picture, which is kind of cool. So now he's getting to perform with them legitimately. Uh, so it's very, very cool. It was kind of a nice, you know, full circle moment there. Um, and uh, the Zed. Um, I'm not super familiar with Zed Norman. I don't know if he's a producer, a DJ or EDM guy. I'm not sure, but he, uh, he came out and did drums on this as well. So that was kind of cool. Um, I, apparently there was a big hiccup with this song between how it was performed live in the venue and how it was played home on YouTube. Um, in the venue, it sounded great. Like I, I didn't. I didn't hear notice any any you know thing weird or, or wonky, but apparently, for the feed going at home, they had played Ollie's backing track from the rehearsal earlier in the day or the day before, so it was out of sync. Live, it wasn't out of sync. It's, it looked and sounded great, and they've since fixed the video and changed it to the actual live audio, and it's it's perfectly in sync because he was really singing. Um, but apparently, that was a thing. Obviously, none of us in the venue noticed. Um, up next, they went to uh, paper cut with uh, Machine Gun Kelly and John Green came back out again. And uh, Machine Gun Kelly was good on this. Um, he's definitely better in his rock stuff he's doing now. I'm still not like the biggest fan of his, um, but some of the, the rock stuff he's been doing, like the originals, and he's done some covers lately with Travis Barker. Those are really good. Um, I was never the biggest fan of his uh, hip hop stuff, but we'll see what happens as he keeps going with the rock stuff now. But um, he was good on this. I, I enjoyed this good energy, really good energy live. Um, and this was nice because he was supposed to be on that tour in the summer, uh, this year. So it was kind of nice. He was still involved a little bit. Uh, and next up they did uh, one step closer and this was cool because this threw back to, uh, product revolution 04 and, and reanimation. Um, they brought out, uh, Jonathan Davis from corn to sing on this one. Um, uh, but they also brought out uh, Ryan Shuck and, uh, Amir, Daraka, I, I forget how to say his name, uh, from Orgy slash Julian K. 
So it was cool. You know, these guys all together, especially because like Orgy and Corn were, were, you know, big together in the 90s. Like they, they did Family Values tour together. They did a bunch of songs together. They were all friends and stuff. So it was kind of cool. They all got to do this together uh, for Chester. And it was, like I said, harking back to Project Revolution 04 when Jonathan came out every night and did the reanimation bits from uh, One Step Closer. So this was, this was a nice uh, bonus here. Uh, and next up, I mentioned this last week. Um, this was this was something I always wanted to see, and I, the circumstances were not how I wanted to see it. But I, you know, I, I'm 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 glad I, I got to see it in some form at least. Uh, they did a place for my head with uh, Jeremy from A Day to Remember, and I've I've said this quite a bit uh, in conversation amongst friends. I don't know if Lincoln Park will or should ever get a new singer. Um, obviously it'll be a very touchy subject. I mean, I look at how people look at, you know, Matt replacing Tom and Blink-182 and Tom's still alive. You know, Tom just left. Um, and personally, I love Matt in Blink-182. I'm a huge Alkaline Trio fan. So seeing Matt in that band makes me very happy. But I look at how that fan base has reacted to that. And like I said, Tom's still around. He's just not interested in Blink-182. He's doing his alien stuff and his uh, Angels and Airwaves stuff. So... I, I get that, but people have not been favorable at points about Matt, which is a bummer because Matt's done some really great stuff. Like California is great. California Deluxe is really great. Nine is fantastic. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. But that's that's how that scenario has been on the Blink-182 side of things. So I look at if you ever bring a new singer into Lincoln Park, like it's going to be scrutinized and it's going to be a big deal. And some people are going to be upset. Some people are going to be happy. It's just like the nature of that beast. But that being said, I... And I don't know he ever would because I don't think he would leave his other band. But Jeremy, I think, would be such a great fit. Um, he can't exactly hit the high notes that Chester could hit, but he has the energy and his his uh, aggressiveness on some of these songs is really great. Like he was awesome on a place from my head. So this is like my my point in case example. Like this is an option. Like uh, you know, one day uh, if if they ever wanted to go this route. Um, but this was just amazing. Um, the only way it would have been more amazing if it was Jeremy and Chester together. Um, still very jealous of that Warp Tour 2014 crowd. Very, very much. Um, but yeah, that was a place where I had with Jeremy just killed it. So good. Uh, and up next, they did Rebellion. Uh, and this one was cool because we got to see it in the way it was meant to be performed. Uh, Darren from System of a Down came out. He was the original guest on the song on the album. Um, and Shavo from System also came out. He, he played bass on this. Um, and uh, Frank Zemo from Sum 41 came out and played the drums on this. Um, originally, they had said that System of a Down was going to be a guest on the show. And we had figured that... Um, um, the, the God, I'm blanking out on their singer's name, and I feel terrible about it because I love System. Um, but we didn't think the singer would be there, but we thought, you know, the, the full band at least. So John would be there as a drummer. Um, but Frank is great. Frank is amazing actually. So I was not upset about this. Um, and having Darren come out and be able to sing, uh, sing and play guitar on this was awesome too. Um, closest I'll get to see system again, I guess I'll take it. Um, and then they did the catalyst with, and they kept Frank out there, uh, from some 41 and they brought out his buddy from some 41, Derek. Um, which I, I think I remember the story being Frank was coming out to help on some of these and they, they were talking about a song, uh, the catalyst and they're like, Oh, you know, uh, Derek would be great for that or something like that. I, 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 like I said, a lot of this, I haven't watched or seen or listened to since it happened. So I'm going to butcher some of those stories. So do your, do yourself a favor, look up this show on YouTube. It's still on Lincoln Park's YouTube page as their official page and things like that. So go ahead and check it out there and you'll see the story about this, this performance specifically. But Derek is another great candidate. If they were ever to bring in somebody else, Derek's voice is so good in this setting. Um, in between having him on vocals and then Frank on drums and they had John Green back out on guitar and uh, vocals again. Uh, Catalyst came out really good. I was it was one of my favorite performances of this. And uh, up next um, was something I'd always wanted to see. Um, and since high school, I had joked, man, wouldn't it be awesome if Linkin Park and Blink-182, two of my favorite bands of all time, if they toured together, they can call it the Blinkin Park Tour. So in May of 2017, they put out a video on Funny or Die of a first date and 
on one side of the table was the guy, on one side of the table was the girl, but also on each side of the table, uh, members of Blink-182 and members of Linkin Park. And this was really a a funny announcement video to say, hey, Linkin Park and Blink-182, we are going out on tour together for a few shows this summer on the Welcome to Blinkin Park tour. And I was over the moon. I was ecstatic. I was like, man, it's going to happen. I made this joke 16 years ago in high school, and they're finally doing it. Awesome. Obviously, things prevented that from happening. But Blink was involved here, and uh, Blink, um, as a full band, were one of the only people to come out and do another one of their songs. Like, Alanis did their song, but Blink... um, And this was a song that already existed. Like, I think the Alanis song was a new song, but Blink came out, and very fittingly, they did uh, I Miss You uh, in tribute to Chester. Um, So this was really nice, and, you know, I'm always happy to see Blink again. I love those guys. Um, Actually, uh, recording this uh, today, uh, one year ago today, was the last time I saw Blink. I saw Blink on the Enema of the State 20th anniversary tour with them and Neck Deep. Um, and not Little Wayne, because Little Wayne decided not to show up for this show. He claimed he was sick, but apparently that was a big thing through a lot of that tour. So who knows? But we got a little bit longer set from Neck Deep, and uh, Blink killed it as always. So uh, one year ago today, there's this recording, which was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, Blink did I Miss You, and then uh, members of Linkin Park came out with them, and they, as a whole super group you could effectively call Blinkin Park, did uh, What I've Done together, which was really great. Um, and that, that was just mind blowing to me, like seeing the Blinken Park thing actually happen. I was like, all right, this is not what I envisioned for this to be, but that it actually happened. made me really happy. Um, but it also made me wonder and a little bit sad, like, man, well, they've done stuff like this on that Blinken Park tour. Like that'd have been rad. Like that'd have been super cool. But you know, we'll never know or, uh, you know, is what it is now. And then they closed out their main set at 26 songs with In the End. And this was a big emotional one. They didn't have any guests on this one from what I recall. Um, but it was a big emotional one. You know, obviously In the End's a big song. Um, I want to say Mike came into the crowd too. Um, he, he came into the crowd a lot for this song. Um, so this was really nice. Um, I, I even think he was like pointing the, you know, the mic on the big mic stand, pointing it out into the crowd and getting a lot of people help sing. Uh, so this is this was uh, you know honestly probably the perfect way to end the main set. Um, and then we went into a six song encore. Uh, they came back out with Iridescent again. Um, the original version of Iridescent was like a um, it was a kind of a remixed version they played earlier in the show. Um, this one was a shortened version, but it was still um, the main kind of style of the song. Um, and then they went into New Divide. It was actually kind of cool because these were two of the three uh, Transformer songs they had. So it's kind of nice to put these two together. Um, that iridescent at the beginning of the encore, John Green was out out there for. New Divide was actually really interesting how they did it because they had used the audio and video from when Linkin Park played the Hollywood Bowl in 2014. Uh, they played New Divide there. And that one was live streamed, I want to say, on MySpace or somewhere online. That was the Carnivores tour with 30 Seconds to Mars and AFI. Um, They used the video and audio of Chester from that, and they played that on the screens in the venue as the band played New Divide live here. So, you know, effectively, we had one performance here tonight where Chester did sing, quote-unquote, on a a song. This one was was hard, though, because, you know, it, it... you looked up at the screen and you saw a familiar looking Hollywood Bowl stage. Like the setup was a bit different, but you looked up and there was Chester singing with the band that the band was playing live right now. But then you looked at the stage and that center stage area and microphone was empty and it was, yeah, that was tough. Um, but it was also a nice thing that they did. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, up next was, um, uh, I'll call it a surprise. I don't remember if any of these people were announced beforehand, but it was a cool little bit they did here. They did A Light That Never Comes by Steve Aoki, which I wanted to mention last week's episode, my bad. Um, I said they did Darker Than Blood, and I said it was possibly by Martin Garrix. It's a Steve Aoki song. I don't know why I messed that up, but I did. My bad. Um, But yeah, Steve Aoki came out here with uh, BB Rexa, and then Frank Zemo came out as well, and they did uh, A Light That Never Comes together, which was great. BB sounded awesome on this. 
and uh steve aoki's just like hyper as hell for this he was awesome uh and then they went in to burn it down which they brought out uh, m shadows and um M Shadows made this song sound like more badass and edgier than it ever has. Like he just has that kind of voice that sounds cool uh, and stuff like this, and it makes it sound even better. <laughs> so this worked really, really well. Uh, and they actually kept M Shadows out for the next song. They brought out uh, Sinister Gates from uh, Avenged Sevenfold as well. And having these two guys out there for the this song and the song prior was a nice touch, I thought, because um, they're uh, Avenged Sevenfold are a band not unfamiliar with uh losing a member uh they lost the rev uh years ago uh their drummer so i i thought it was nice that they were involved in this and i i can't remember if they were friends with chester they were friends with mike but i thought this was a very 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 nice touch um and they sounded <clears throat> sounded great um i'd be lying if uh i i thought maybe they would try to do the fan thing for faint um for you know for this show but i understand why they didn't it makes sense not to um you know it's not about the fans it's about this show is about chester but uh bringing sinister gates out for this was really cool he sounded awesome on this he was soloing a bit and m shadows like i said between how he sounded on faint and how he sounded on burn it down like he he could also be a good choice for Lincoln park someday um i don't know how much avenge does anymore but um this sounded really good <laughs> Um, and then they closed with, uh, as you guessed, uh, Bleed It Out. And this was very, very cool because everybody came out. Literally everybody. Everybody who was involved in the show tonight, every guest, everybody who, who came out and performed with them um, came out for Bleed It Out. And it was a big old party on stage in honor of Chester. And it was really, really nice. Very emotional too. You know, the, at the very, very end of it, the band uh did like a curtain call to kind of bit they went out to the end of the stage and they hugged and, and bowed and said hi to the fans and stuff and it was it was nice it was a very nice ending to the show um it was it was a big emotional night um i'm actually kind of proud of myself getting through just talking about it without really getting super emotional um but it was it was awesome uh such a nice uh experience being around like-minded people celebrating the, the the same person for the same reasons um and at the same time everyone had different reasons you know some people who were there he saved their life some people he just found a way to talk to via his songs some people he found ways to talk to legitimately via you know meet and greets and 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 things like that so um it was nice to to have all these like-minded people there celebrating for the same reason um, but that's the set list for this show. Um, I, you know, I would love for them to tour again. I'd love for them to do another show, but, um, this was, this was a nice send off if, if it had to happen. Um, but, uh, quick wrap up on the whole weekend. I won't, I won't drone on too much longer. I know we're, we're approaching the one hour mark, which is a long one for these shows. I told you guys, this one would be a long one. Um, as I mentioned, this was not the only thing I came out to LA for this week, be, this weekend, because I figure if I'm going to go out there, I'll, I'll make a make a quick weekend of it, do do some fun stuff. So we did uh, did the Lincoln Park show that Friday night, got back to the hotel and slept like a monstrous baby. Just I had actually thought after the Hollywood Bowl show or earlier in the day, I thought you know maybe I'll go to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal in Hollywood, and I'd already been that year. I went uh, in September when we were there for my friend's wedding, and I thought you know maybe maybe I'll go after because I love going to Halloween Horror Nights. I go in Orlando religiously like which is a touchy subject right now they just canceled both the hollywood and orlando events for 2020 because of coronavirus which is, i get it but man it was such a bummer it's such a big part of my year like i look forward to it so much um but so i, I love going here in orlando i go you know a dozen plus times every year uh, i get the pass and i go as much as i can but going out there i was like you know i like the event I, and i've heard it's gotten better throughout because we went like a month and a half before so i was like it's got you know it probably only got better over time it's like man i'd love to go back out there so i thought if the show ends early enough you know our nights is open to like 2 a.m i can go after man i was just so emotionally and physically drained after this show i couldn't even fathom the thought of going to horror nights because one thing people don't realize when you go halloween horror nights is and theme parks in general this is a thing a lot of people when planning forget about you walk so much like it's ridiculous but 
I am fully aware of that because of how much I go in Orlando and I'd been to the Hollywood one and I know there's lots of ups and downs and stairs and hills and, and lower lots and upper lots and there's a ton of walking and plus the mazes themselves are walking. So you're always on your feet. You're always doing something. So I uh, eventually thought, you know what? I'm not going to spend the money too much in one night. Let me, let me not overstuff it. So I went back to the hotel after the show, didn't, uh, didn't deal with any of that and just got, like I said, slept like a monstrous baby. It was beautiful. Woke up the next day a bit late, didn't care, didn't have anything planned until later in the day. Uh, met up with my buddy Dustin, who I mentioned earlier. <clears throat> and we ended up uh, going to the Warner Brothers Horror Made Here tour they did at their studio uh, in Burbank. Uh, it was awesome. This was such a cool event. Um, I wish I could have gone other years because they, they, they changed it up kind of like Halloween Horror Nights. This was great. Like they, they had a maze based on the conjuring, which was really, really well done. Uh, they had a maze based on Freddy, uh, Freddy Krueger in, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and the cool thing was they kind of have to work in their existing structure back there. Like they're not building new things. Like they built, they had one also for it. And they built the house from it, uh, which was the same one they had on Hollywood Boulevard in um, earlier that year. They just, I don't know if they moved it or they rebuilt it on the Warner Brothers lot, but um, that was the only one they kind of built from scratch. The other ones they kind of retrofitted into existing spaces. Like the Conjuring house was in, um, oddly enough, I think it was in the same house they used to film um, some of the younger scenes of the Geller family in friends. I think it was the house where Monica and um, Ross grew up, which is kind of funny. Or was it Phoebe's house? I forget. I think it was I think it was the Geller house. But they used that house for this conjuring house and they just kind of, you know, dressed it up a bit and put some scary stuff in there. So it's kind of cool they did that. And then the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street house was put into uh, there's like a, a house, not a house, a, a school building they use for different um, school filming things, you know, whether it's set in high school or anything like that, they'll use this school, uh, which has been using a number of things, which I can't remember, but I know it's the Warner Brothers lot. They've used a lot of these things for a lot of different projects. Um, so they put the, the Nightmare on Elm Street maze in there and you're going through like Springfield Elementary or Springfield High School, just kind of cool. Um, Springwood, not Springfield. That's the Simpsons. Springwood. Um, so it's kind of cool to see them retrofit these haunted mazes into existing structures instead of building in an empty space like Halloween Horror Nights does a lot. Um, and this was cool. And they did like a, a, a tram tour kind of thing where they would show where they filmed different <clears throat> scary things over the years. And um, including they, they, it was like a drive through this wooded area on the back lot, which apparently they used for a number of the T-Rex scenes in Jurassic Park, which is kind of funny because that is not a Warner Brothers movie. It's universal. But that's one thing the studios in Hollywood all have to do is they all have to play ball together. And if you're universal and you need a jungle back lot and you say, all right, well, we don't have that here. Who does? Warner Brothers? Okay. And then you call up Warner Brothers and they say, hey, it's going to cost you this much money. And you say, okay, we're going to do it. Everyone wins there. Warner Brothers gets the money for the filming there and then Universal gets their shots. So it makes sense. Um, but it's cool. They drove us through there and they, they staged little things through um, the back lot area. Uh, on in like some of the wooded areas, they stage things that look like True Blood and um, all sorts of things like that, which is kind of cool. Um, but about a fun night, you know, a nice little cap off to what this short weekend was. Uh, you know, after that event was done, we uh, we got out of there, grabbed some food at a California favorite Jack in the Box, uh, who I always love going to when I'm out there. Jack in the Box and In and Out are two uh, two uh, fast food favorites to grab when I'm in California. Um, I haven't been in a while. I, I, I miss both of them. <laughs> um, and then that was, that was pretty much it. I uh, got back to the hotel, crashed for a few hours, had to wake up super early again for my flight. And uh, that, uh, that was it. That, that's the whole trip. So all in all, uh, a very beautiful, uh, wonderful weekend, a great trip that I'll remember forever. Um, again, I wish, uh, wish it didn't have to happen. Uh, you know, wish we still had him here with us, but you know, you can't change that. Um, but that all ends our Lincoln Park part of this saga. Uh, next week we are going to now start diving into the side projects. Um, so we're not done talking about Chester just yet. We got a couple of those coming up. Um, but the first side project show we're going to talk about 
is Fort Minor, uh, their first show in New York City, uh, part of the Seventh Avenue Drop series on the Fuse channel. Uh, it was a private show they did in the studios at Fuse. They filmed it for TV. It was right around when the album came out, so it's kind of cool. Um, we'll talk about that next week. Um, may may do a couple in an episode because they might be shorter stories, so I may mash them up a bit. But that'll be next week. So we're going to talk about Fort Minor next week. Maybe one, maybe two shows. We're not sure yet. But that's going to do it for this week. I know it's been over an hour, so I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, if you're only here for the Lincoln Park part of this story and you're not going to listen to the rest, I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening. Um, I know it hasn't been a big uh, listener base that this show has amassed. Um, it did at first. It was doing a couple of hundred. A couple episodes went into the thousands which was great. felt really nice. Um, and then for my own fault, I just stopped doing them. I lost track of time, had some health issues, got lazy, all of the above. Every reason not to do it, I didn't do it. Um, but then obviously this pandemic gave me time to, it gave me all the time to do everything I wanted to do. I wanted to start recording this podcast again. I did it. I said, I wanted to start playing video games again because I'm notoriously bad at video games. I started doing that. I started reading more, started cooking more, which has been great. So just been picking up things that I've, I've put off for a long time, and the podcast now has become just part of my week. Um, so I, I I love doing this. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, so if, if you're only here for the Lincoln Park stuff, I thank you so much for listening. Uh, hopefully you do stick around. We're going to talk about the Lincoln Park side projects in the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to dive into the entire concert history of me. Um, I've been to a lot of shows over the years, 296 as of now. Uh, so a lot of stories there. Uh, granted, we've already talked about 34 of those uh, with the Lincoln Park show, so we have uh, less than 296 left to talk about after the side project and so, so probably in the 250 range, 260s, somewhere around there. Still a lot of shows to talk about, so hopefully you do stick around for the rest of this journey. Uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Um, but that's going to wrap it all up for today. I uh, Thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. This has been My Road to Revolution. My name is Billy.